This is Paul Hansen, and you are listening to Signal to Noise. All right. Welcome, everybody. Um, I am back. I know it's been a while since you've heard the sound of my voice, but let's just say the holiday season was a very busy season for me, and we'll leave it at that. Anyway, I am glad to be back, and I've got a lot of stuff for you today, um, as well as a lot of content for upcoming episodes. So let's not delay too much further, and let's talk about what's been going on. So if you go to castironring.com, um, that is the network that I'm a part of, as well as the network for the best in podcasting that we have to offer um, that's out there. So we have added a couple new shows since the last time we talked. We added the Bone Hand Heavy Half Hour, and we've also added the um, Shockwaves Skull Sessions and Hard Radio Sessions um, produced by Mr. Bob Nalbandian. And those have been a lot of great things. I was just checking out his interview with Dave Mustaine of Megadeth, where they talk about Dave actually getting up to perform with Metallica at their 30th anniversary concert. Um, quite an event, quite an event, quite a milestone in metal history, I must say. Other things that have been going on, I just checked out 198, episode 198 of Radioactive Metal. Um, and they interviewed a guy, and I apologize, I can't remember right now, but they interviewed a guy from the BraveWords.com website. This is one of the best discussions I think I've heard on the state of the music industry and publishing in general that I've heard in a really, really long time, so you don't want to miss that. Uh, Focus on Metal. They did an episode on um, John Sykes, and i got to say, I would have never, ever thought to approach the subject the way they approached it, as far as just like his guitar work and the time with Whitesnake and everything that was going on. Really interesting episode, really enjoyed it. Um, Scott and Julian over there do a great job. And Scott, um, I actually have some stuff for my show from him, so you guys will be hearing his voice later, and maybe I can even talk him into coming on to um, talk about some other things, because Scott and I definitely share um, an interest in all things gear. So that should be kind of interesting here. Um, So that's everything that's going on right now. Oh, no, I know it's not. Iron City Rocks also has up a new episode. I believe it's 139 with Don Jameson of That Metal Show. Um, And so that's going to be a great episode to check out. So now we will move on, and let's talk about our guest here today. So my guest today is Paul Hansen. Now, if you're not familiar with Paul Hansen, Paul Hansen is a clinician for BOSS. And if you're thinking, okay, what's a clinician? Well, that's what you're going to learn today. Um, As well as, Paul also hosts a podcast for Boss called Boss Tone Radio. Not the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, but Boss Space Tone. Um, Check it out. If you're into gear and and especially boss pedals like I am, um, it is a great, great podcast. But even if you don't care about boss effects, even if you think, oh, you know what? I don't like boss effects at all. You still need to listen to this podcast because um, Paul has on some amazing artists and they just share some great, great stories. Really, really entertaining podcast. So that's who my guest is today. Um, Paul currently has a new um, a new album out on CD Baby. It's called Mind Scanner, and that is a free download on CDBaby.com. So if you check that out, you can get that for free. Um, I picked it up. It's awesome. Uh, there's also the Paul Hansen Orchestra I want to tell everybody about. So um, we talk about this in the interview, th- this particular album, but I got finally got a chance to sit down and sample it a little bit, and I do plan on buying it here really, really soon. Um but so Paul does kind of a metal or rock twist on jazz classics. So In the Mood, I'm sure everybody's heard of. It was the old Glenn Miller standard. But um, that's on there. And there's a few other good jazz standards like Sing, Sing, Sing. But the one that caught me was Caravan. Because it starts out in a way that I don't expect. And I'm like, oh, man, where's he going with this? And then when the melody line comes in, the signature line of Caravan that I recognize, 
I'm like, wow, that was a good take. It was really, really interesting. So this whole album is very, very unique. If you enjoy jazz, if you enjoy rock, definitely check it out. Uh, that one I know is on CD Baby. I, I just searched for that today. Um, well, I mean iTunes as well. So iTunes and CD Baby. Uh, but Paul's got a lot of stuff up on CD Baby, actually. So check that out. Um, so before we get into our interview with Paul, we are going to listen to a, one of the tracks from Mindscanner called Avery Blower. And then we'll get into our interview with Paul. Thank you. gentlemen today we have on our show paul hansen who you may know as the voice of boston radio paul how are you doing today oh great to talk to you aaron well paul thanks for doing the show i know you're a very very busy guy i appreciate you taking the time out of your day to talk to us here uh i love to and it's 
It's kind of cool. I just got off the phone. I told you before the show, I just got off the phone with Peter Thorne, who's a, one of L.A.'s top guitar sidemen, who's playing gigs with Don Henley now, and he just got off the road with Melissa Etheridge. And Yeah, it's kind of fun being on the other side of the interview, so <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Well, I'm looking forward to that episode of Boss Joe Radio. Now, for, um, for our audience members who are maybe not as familiar with you as I've become over the years, could you give us just a, um, a background on, on yourself and kind of what you've done here in the last few years with Boss and these other projects? Well, um, Aaron, I am one of those guys that, you know, I had planned to have a huge career, make millions of dollars and, you know, retire in the Bahamas. But um, my career, I've done everything I could to make a buck. And, uh, you know, I had kids, and I didn't really want to travel that much. So, boy, <laughs> I've done just about everything you can do playing guitar. I've toured with bands. I was in on, with Vanilla Fudge on their reunion tour, and I played with Andy Taylor from Duran Duran. I've written books. I coached movie stars, George Clooney, Michael J. Fox, for the Back to the Future movies. And Anyway, the, for the last 10 years, I've been uh, um, working off and on for Boss, uh, the company that makes all the pedals. And uh, that's been a cool gig, and uh, yeah, that's how I got started doing Boss Tone Radio. I was involved with Boss. <laughs> now, let's go back and talk about that Michael J. Fox thing, because I was reading that on your site, and that blew me away, partly because that's one of my favorite movies. I absolutely love that movie. How did you get that gig, and what exactly was your role as a guitar coach? Okay, I got a story about this. Um, I was teaching at Musicians Institute, and I, I taught there for years. Anyway, I was in the office talking to one of the receptionists, one of the girls who worked in the office, and she said, I, I heard you could play with your teeth, and I showed her this cool lick that I could do, a sweet-picking lick that I could play with my teeth. Within, like, I don't know, then I left, and uh, within an hour, this guy Bones Howe, who was, uh, he was uh, Elvis's producer, and anyway, he was the music supervisor on Back to the Future. He called down to GIT, MI, and uh, asked uh, for a guitar teacher who could teach this actor how to play behind his head. And of course, the girl just had seen me play with my teeth, so she said... Um, you know, and, and this girl answered the phone, and she, yeah, she said you need to get Paul Hansen. So, yeah, he called me, and yeah, it's a long story. I was originally teaching awesome. this super cool guy, Eric Stoltz. He was the original star of Back to the Future. See, I just learned that recently. I, I didn't even realize that until very recently. Yeah, a little bit of trivia is if you see Christopher Lloyd on a scene in Back to the Future and he says, Great Scott, Marty, he might have actually been acting with Eric Stoltz because, of course, they kept all the scenes they shot with Eric Stoltz that they could use. And I, I think they shot with Eric for a couple months or so. Wow. Yeah, Spielberg and Zemeckis just kind of decided that um, Eric didn't really have the energy level, and they wanted Michael J. Fox anyway. So uh, Michael J. Fox was working on family ties, and uh, somehow they eventually convinced him. And they, I think Michael was doing family ties in the day, and then he would 
shoot Back to the Future at night. Wow. So, yeah, a lot of people yeah. tell me that that's one of their favorite movies, and uh, it's really cool to be a part of, you know, a historic movie like that. And you were also in Michael J. Fox's backing band in the high school, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm playing bass in the scene when he's auditioning for the high school dance. And Huey Lewis, who's, who's pretending to be one of the teachers, says, um, I'm sorry, fellas, you're just too darn loud. Next, please. And anyway, yeah, I was up yeah. there playing, playing bass. I actually played the guitar in that scene, too, the, that Michael J. Fox is uh, pretending to play. I didn't play the Johnny Be Good, though. That was played by Tim May, who is a super great session guitar player in L.A. So what's that like to track, to track like guitar for a movie that Michael J. Fox has to kind of air guitar to? How, how, how'd that work? Um, well, as I recall, it was at the record plant in L.A., and I'd been there just for like a maybe a month before for a friend of mine who had a record release party, and it was kind of kind of cool. I mean, I'm in the same room, I think. And um, I think I brought a Fender Princeton and a Marshall, but they just wanted to use the Princeton. They didn't need a really loud amp. And, uh... oh, yeah, Huey Lewis had written this. He wrote a, he had created a demo of The Power of Love, you know the da 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 da. Yeah, yeah. So the producer wanted, and and it was Bones Howe who was producing. He was the music supervisor. He's the guy who hired me to be the guitar coach. And Bones said we we want to use Huey's riff, only kind of make it sound like you know you're just kind of rocking out. And so. Yeah, we were just in the record plant, cranked it out. I think I did about three different solos, and I remember I did one that was, I think was really good, <clears throat> but Zemeckis heard that one, and he didn't think that would be, uh, you know, right for a high school guy to be able to play that, so they took kind of the sloppier one. <laughs> that's okay. It was fun doing it. And the one that's in there, I think, is just perfect for, for what's going on at that time. Like, it really it really fits well. Yeah, I think I played some Eddie Van Halen licks and did a bunch of whammy bar stuff and then taught it to Michael. And yeah, he really, learned, he really learned how to play all that stuff that he was mimicking. He could actually play it maybe, you know, pretty close to speed. Yeah, okay. He was really into guitar. Wow, that's awesome. I, I, that's another thing I never realized. Yeah, he was in high school bands up in Canada and uh, before he got into acting. And uh, I think that that was maybe... It w- wasn't the main thing about Eric Stoltz, but Eric wasn't a guitar player, you know. Uh, so he was kind of going from scratch. But Michael pretty much was into guitar, and he, he enjoyed playing guitar. We also did another movie as well as the other Back to the Future movies, we did one with Joan Jett called Light of Day. And that was a fun movie. I don't think it ever did very well in the box office, but he actually played the guitar parts in that movie. Oh, wow. Yeah, it had Michael McKeon, who was later in Spinal Tap, Joan Jett, and, and of course, Michael J. Fox. And uh, they were a band, and... uh, 
it gave Michael J. Fox a chance to play and a chance for us to hang out again. Wow, that's that's kind of, that's kind of cool how, how you know you do one movie and then get to do another movie and kind of keep the chemistry going. <laughs> yeah, I kind of got known as the guitar coach in in L.A. So. Um, when George Clooney was doing this show called Sunset Beat, they called me, and I did a oh. Aaron Spelling show called The uh, The Heights. Oh, I remember I I taught Maria Conchita Alonso, really pretty. Um, so I think she's South American, but she was getting ready for a tour in South America where she was going to sing and play. And uh, anyway, boy, I've taught a lot of different people, just regular folks, too, taught a lot of guitar lessons. Now, let's talk about your time with Boss. So you were, did you start as a clinician? And I guess, can you tell us more about, like, what a clinician does? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I was teaching at Musicians Institute, and there was a sign in the teacher's lounge. It's funny, all these teachers that I taught with, you know, Norman Brown and Frank Gambali and Scott Henderson, they they all became famous. A lot of us, you know, uh, did. And uh, anyway, I, I had spent so many years, you know, as a musician, you don't really make a steady income. Sometimes you'll get a lot of money and then it'll be lean for a little while. And my wife and I, we just thought maybe it's time to, to get a, for me to get a gig and get health care and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, back to the teacher's lounge there, Roland had put up, put up a sign for a clinician. And, uh, so I called them up and, and, uh, then they gave me a GT five, which is a pretty complex unit. And they said, um, set this up and show us how it works. So the, the, uh, president of boss and um the, the higher up guys chris bristol and paul youngblood at roland they had me show them how this product works <laughs> and uh it was a i remember right in the interview process like right as i was showing how how the gt5 works i broke my b string and i had my uh, a guitar with the Floyd Rose whammy oh. bar. And I guess they were impressed enough by then that they said, that's okay. You know, and then they, they hired me and yeah, it was a clinician type job. So what I would do is get on an airplane and go to Florida, you know, and I was living in LA at the time and demonstrate at either, you know, Maybe they'd set up some music store clinics and some store visits and then may, or maybe a convention. And I would play through the gear. I used to say I was the guy that you would see at Home Depot cutting tile and showing how to do stuff, only it was in a music store with a guitar. That's cool. <gasps> now, was it always... Like the more advanced Boss gear, like like the GT5. Because the GT5, correct me if I'm wrong, that was one of the first Boss multi effects floor processors, right? You know, I think so. It, it, yeah, and uh, then then they had the GT3, and 
The, the current one is the GT10. The GT10 is a killer product, and uh, oh my gosh, it's, yeah, GTs are pretty cool floor multi-effects units. What I really liked about the GT series, especially because I think it started with the 6, and again, I might be confusing these because I worked in music store for a while and we dealt with Boss products because I love Boss products. Uh-huh. And the, um, the 6 was one of the first ones that seemed to really allow you to move the effects around in the chain. Mm-hmm. Well, I think all the GTs, you could do that. You could move the wah-wah after the distortion, which sounds way different than if you put the wah-wah before the distortion. But yeah. it's all virtually within the unit, so you're not actually unplugging the wah-wah. It's actually inside the unit. And, uh, yeah, the order of effects are pretty important, and uh, all the GT processors have been able to move around the order of the effects. Yeah, you, if you put the chorus before the distortion, it sounds different than if you put the chorus maybe after the preamp, you know, and uh, that's a handy, handy thing. Also, the the way effects are... You know, just regular pedals are lined up. Really important how they how they are lined up. Well, see, and that's what I really liked about the GT series because, you know, when you put different effects before and after each other, you get a different sound. And also, like, I know, like, me being a bass player, I have, I have an Ottawa, well, kind of, I think it's more, it was, it was an old DoD envelope filter. But then I have my, my Boss, I think it's my DD3 Digital Delay, and I like to keep those two as far apart from each other because I get a better decay because I lose that, you know, because, you know, there's the, de- the decay in the signal chain. And that's what yeah. I liked about, about like, yeah. the GT series because you could kind of replicate that a little bit, and that, I think that adds the realism of the effect. Yeah, then Ottawa is also a place in Canada as <laughs> well as a good effect. <laughs> but, yeah, they're, the... Uh, the whole boss line of, of, of GT processors are pretty, pretty incredible. They do a lot of, a lot of things, and uh, the trick is to find out what you want them to do. For instance, you could use, it in, use one in manual mode, and each time you, you step on a pedal, it's like stepping on, you know, one of a separate pedal on the floor. In other words, pedal one could be a distortion. You could set it to be a distortion pedal, like maybe a Proco Rat-style distortion. And pedal two could be a delay pedal. And, of course, yeah, you can rearrange the order of how they would, um, how they will sound. Um, but, yeah, there's so many different ways to run those. And, uh, yeah, you can save patches and... They they do a lot of different things, and sometimes that's a little too much. Um, you know, uh, some people want to get really tweaky and be able to do lots of things. Some people don't. Some people want to just turn on the gear and have it work, and uh, that's probably why Boss came up with the ME line, which are more simple, multiple effects. So um, those... The ME, like the ME70 is the current one. And the difference between that and and the GT is that the GT, if you, anything you can imagine, you could 
pretty much do. The ME70 is simpler and more straight ahead, and the stuff is pretty much set up for you. And um, you have just about every effect. And then, of course, Boss has the pedals where you can go old school and just plug the pedals in. I saw yeah, Michael I... Schinker. Um, I some, I, I'm probably not letting you get in a word edgewise. <laughs> no, that's fine. <laughs> but I saw Michael Schenker recently. You know, I was on on the road with uh, Carmine Apiece years ago, and, and Carmine was playing drums for him, so I called him up and asked if he could put me on the list. And I went down and I saw Michael Schenker. Oh, my gosh, he plays so amazing. He is truly one of the greats. But all he had were four or five boss pedals and uh i think a jcm series marshall head and four by 12 cabinets probably just playing through one of the four by 12 cabinets oh my gosh and he sounded so good it's amazing what you can do with just a handful of boss pedals i mean i like the boss pedals because for a couple reasons a they're indestructible and b they're so tweakable like i feel like you get so much more um sound shaping capability if you're working with the pedal than, than with some of the software and the emulators that are out there, at least for on, on the bass side. Guitar, I think, is even better. But I know for me, I get way more out of the out of having an actual pedal in front of me. Yeah, you know, I, I like that, too. It's, you know, when I interviewed Dave Navarro, he said he just doesn't like to do math on stage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh, of of course, you know, with the GT processes, you're not going to do math on stage. You're just going to, you know, have your presets already set. But he'd like to be able to just kneel down and turn a knob if you, if you want some more delay and a dedicated knob and have, and have to go through, um, you know, a couple button pushes when you're on stage is more than what you want to do. And that's in the advantage of simple pedals is you just reach down and turn them and you can see where everything's set and they're simple yeah <clears throat> there are other pedal companies besides boss you know i like the tc electronic pedals and a few of the the other companies but boss does have you know they're the original one of the original companies and they have a huge line and there's just about no famous guitar player who has no boss pedals. Sorry for the double negative. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think there are. You know, Paul Gilbert told me boss pedals are ubiquitous. And at the time, I didn't really know what that meant. You know, I said, hey, Paul, sorry, I don't know what ubiquitous means. <laughs> and uh, ubiquitous means that they're everywhere. They're omnipresent. They're virtually in, you know, around just in a closet or on the floor or in a rehearsal studio, there's so many of them in there. They, and they still probably work, even if they're 20 years old. Well, I, I was going to mention that. My first Moss pedal, <clears throat> I, was, I was telling my wife the story over the weekend, I don't think she appreciates it as much as I do, but I was telling her, like, I, I was tearing the house apart looking for my first Moss pedal ever, which was a Boss heavy metal pedal, the HN2. <laughs> And I was recounting to her the story. I mean, like, like this pedal is, is more than just my first pedal. I was telling her about 
I sat down in the store with my dad. We took my, my P-Base to the store. We sat down with like three or four different distortion pedals. I, I can remember one was a DOD pedal. I think it might have been the super distortion that they were selling. Um, the heavy metal pedal. It might have been the DS1. And then one was a Rat Proco pedal. And I remember, you know, playing through all of them and settling on the heavy metal pedal. And I think back in the day, one of their pedals was like 90 bucks. You know, and that was in, in like 85, 86, somewhere in there. Yeah. And, you know, that was a lot of money for a pedal, but I love that pedal. I have played the heck out of it. If you look at it, it's got the marks and the dust, and it's still a great pedal. It still sounds great. It still works. You know, that pedal was discontinued, and I remember when I first got on board with Boss, it was a current pedal, and uh, then they replaced it with the Metal Zone, and uh, the Metal Zone has gone on to be a historic pedal. But, yeah, I think the heavy metal pedal got obscured by the Metal Zone. Metal Zone has that really neat EQ uh, circuit where you could scoop out the mids or boost whatever frequency, little parametric-type knob on there. And, um, wow, I have had people come up to me and said, Dude, you need to reissue the heavy metal pedal. That was my favorite. And, uh, yeah, so that, li- that lives on here, and people are still digging that, that pedal. I'm, I'm kicking myself because I had two of them at one point. I had gotten another one from a friend, and I ended up trading it in, oddly enough, for my DD3. This way is why I traded that in, and I'm like, man, if I would have kept it, because now, you know, if you have been on the Internet, all these people are making these great mods on some of the old boss pedals, so you can change things a little bit. I'm like, oh, I'll never mod my, my original... HM2, but I would love to try one on another one, you know? Yeah. Hey, you just mentioned the DD3. Yeah. Paul Gilbert showed me this, or told me this effect over the, this trick with the DD3. Even if it's off, it's always recording what you're doing. Okay. So if you turn the DD3 on the slowest time, then you turn the delay level to maximum, and then you turn the repeats to minimum. And you play a fast lick, like, and right when you're done with that lick, hit the, the DD3, and that lick will, will um, keep repeating. And um, then you can turn the speed up. <laughs> and uh, that's how Paul started his um, Get Out of My Yard album. It's the first thing you hear on the album. And, um it's such a cool effect. You have to try that. You just set the knobs the way I described. When you're done with the lick, instantly just hit the pedal, and what you played will be repeated. <laughs> Little trick. Oh, I can't wait to try that. Now, speaking yeah. of setting the knobs, have you used or, or were you involved in at all the, uh, the Boss iPhone app for the pedals? Oh, I didn't even know about that. It's, a, it's an awesome app. Like, I have it on my iPhone, and it's, what I like about it is, is they call it Pedal Sketch. Uh-huh. And there, there's, there's definitely some things I would like to see added. Like, A, I would like an iPad version, too. But B, um, the, the, what, what, well, I guess what I like about it for starters is it gives you every boss pedal that's out there, and then you put them in your signal chain, and then you can also change the settings. So, like, I don't know if, you, if you're like me. Like, when I would get a setting I would like, I would try and draw the little circles, try and draw exactly which way the little things were pointing, and now I can actually do a snapshot of what that exact signal chain was and put things in there. It's been a great little sketchbook for, for when we're coming up with tones. 
Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. You know, I don't have an iPhone. My wife has an iPad because she's a flight attendant, and you don't have to take iPads out um, of your bag when you go through the metal detector. Like a normal uh, computer, you have to take out. Yes. But um, So she has an iPad, and, you know, I have Macs, and I, I'm a digital performer. I've written music for films and stuff and I do it all on a Mac but I'm kind of old school I'm not <laughs> I'm not I haven't gotten the iPhone and all that that iPad and all that tricky stuff and I don't even know really what apps are I know there're things that you buy for 5 bucks or something and then now in your iPad or your iPhone you can um do whatever the app does short for application but wow I didn't hear about that but yeah, that, bot, that makes sense. And the boss app is a free app, too, which I like. Oh, cool. But, uh, huh. it's on, on your wife's iPad, you should try out GarageBand at some point. Mm-hmm. I have been impressed with how much music you can make in a $5 app on something that's you know no bigger than the notebook I would have had in, in high school. Yeah, it's you know? just amazing. Technology is almost scary. And uh, I... You know, on the side, I just uh, there's a website called TED, and there's a really amazing um, speech or kind of talk that Steve Jobs gave, gave to Stanford, maybe maybe in the 90s to the graduating class, and uh, it's just amazing to hear Steve Jobs talk about his life and what his lessons are that he learned, and because he, he's just in my opinion, a genius, to know that everyone was going to get an iPod and then to create the iPhone and then to create the iPad and have all these tools that have become, you know, there's that word ubiquitous again, and uh, they change people's lives. And, uh, yeah, my house, my two daughters, my wife and I, we are all Macs. We don't have a, there isn't a PC within miles well, I'm maybe the same way. <laughs> Pardon me? I'm the same way. I'm all Mac at home. Yeah, it's such a such a great thing to have it turn on and then, you know, a, a computer t- turn on and then do what you want it to. Exactly. I mean, being a musician, I'm, I'm sure if you've ever created on the PC side, that's what I used to do. And coming to Mac has been such an so much easier to get my creative process flowing because I don't have to mess with as much as I used to have to mess with on the PC. Now I just grab my guitar, plug in, and start, well, yeah, start making music. Yeah, it's um, definitely Macs are cool. And um, they have cornered the music industry. There's no doubt about that. And it's really cool that they acquired Logic, that company, because now they have a platform to actually sell their own audio program. I... I've been uh, a digital performer user since the dawn of, you know, since the dawn of the computer age, well, back before it was was digital performer. And uh, I haven't switched, although I'm thinking about it. Well, I was was curious because I saw on your website you were were a digital performer user. Um, Like, what drew you to that one first? Was that one of the first ones out there, or, or like, was Pro Tools available at the time? Oh, I'll tell you, it's really simple. I was teaching at GIT, and I knew Scott Henderson and Gary Willis. I never told them this, but they um, 
both use Digital Performer. And I wanted to learn how to do this MIDI sequencing. So what I would do, I thought, what a great idea. I'm going to get exactly what they have, and then I've got two guys I can pick their brains. So I not only bought what they had computer-wise, but I bought the same MIDI interface and I bought the same keyboard. And then I, I would, when I'd have a question, I'd call Scott Henderson, and he'd say, hey, just do this, 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 and, and then I, I would be set, and then, then you know, a few days later I'd have another question, then I'd call Gary. And, um, you know, Gary was uh, Scott's bass player, so they both had the same same rig, you know. And uh, anyway, uh, it, that's how I got into it, and uh, seems like a, a lot of the a lot of the other guys around me used that type stuff too. Yeah, did I say um, the, um, Gary, the bass player? I just I'm spacing all of a sudden. I can't think of his last yeah. name. Did, uh, Gary, let's see. I can't remember his last name. He's such a cool guy and great bass player, and I think he moved to Denver. But anyway, that got me into using um, um, Digital Performer. Well, later it became Digital Performer. Now, is Digital Performer just a MIDI sequencer from the beginning? Yeah, when they started out, you know, back, back in the early 80s, I think is when... I started getting started using that. They were just a MIDI sequencer, and so was all the the MIDI sequencers. Uh, that um, it wasn't until was it Opcode, one of the companies that isn't around anymore, they created I think Vision, and they called it Studio Vision, and they they added digital recording into the uh, sequencing platform. And that broke the whole thing, you know, as soon as computers were fast, then everybody started recording direct onto their computers and, um, you know, Digital Performer and Logic, which I think Logic was originally um, this program called Notator. I'm not sure. You might have me wrong on that, but I remember... No, I, I think you're right on that one. Yeah, I remember going to, to Germany because, well, my first album was recorded in Germany, and I got to know guys over there, so I would, do se- I would go to Germany and do sessions, and everybody in Germany had the uh, Atari computer, wow. which is basically way less powerful than your iPhone now, yeah. or your iPod, and then they used the Notator software. Yeah, and I think that evolved into Logic, Anyway, the big history, it's amazing what we have now. You literally can record an album at home. Oh, I know. And, I mean, I've been a Logic user for almost 10 years now. I can't believe it's been that long. Yeah. Well, Peter yeah. Thorne, the guy I just talked to, who's, yeah, he, he's playing with, I think I said he's playing with Don Henley right now. He just recorded his whole album. It's called Guitar Nerd. And he did it at home. And uh, me, I, I, have, I should plug my new album. It's called Mind Scanner. And my website is paulhanson.net. I right now put it up for a limited time so you could actually download the whole album for free at CD Baby. 
And um, that album, I recorded all the guitars and bass at home, but I recorded drummers. Well, some of the drummers actually recorded here, but all there. I kind of think it's it's important to have someone hitting something with a stick for a rock album. I agree. Yeah. So <laughs> there's something that happens with a drum set. Um, when a guy's whacking at it that you can't really capture in in any machine. So um, plus the the drummer will I think it's such an important instrument in rock and roll. You need a real guy. So my now album. Because <laughs> I actually did go to your site. I found that album. I downloaded it, and I'm really oh. enjoying it. Um, oh great. Did did you mic up your guitar amps for that? Did you use, like, amp software? How did you do your guitar sound? Well, that was recorded o- over several years. Some of it okay. was recorded in my studio in L.A. Um, with Marshalls. Some of it was recorded with a PV-5150. You know what? Actually, I don't think I use Marshalls. I pretty much use a PV-5150 for that album, for the real guitars when I would mic up the guitars. And uh, then I use a VG99 for some of, a Roland VG99. It's a virtual guitar processor. Guitar synth, yeah. Yeah, I think it's the most advanced one ever made. It can process your regular guitar sound, like, you know, take your regular pickup, and let's say you want to plug into a virtual 5150, you know, with a 4x12 cabinet, mic'd up with an SM57, with a little in a big room with a little bit of um, delay on there, you can recreate that, or you could actually with the VG99 press a few buttons and make your guitar into a 12-string guitar tuned down. I don't know a third. You know, it's pretty amazing box, and there's no tracking delay. It's not really a synth. It's a modeling processor. If you want to use the guitar models, you need one of those six, um, well, they're called GK3 pickups. It's basically a miniature humbucking pickup underneath each string. And then the VG processor is able to process each string individually to change tunings or, you know, make your guitar, which may be a Strat, make it sound like a Les Paul or, you know, or a... a, Wow. Yeah, or, or or an acoustic guitar, or whatever, or a banjo, a ukulele, <laughs> which is pretty popular now. Ukuleles. Yeah, it's funny how those come back. Now, on on your album, <clears throat> um, I I gotta say you you're like the king of attention getters. I can't tell you how many times I was listening to that driving to work that I would have to stop, reach over, grab my my iPod, and look at the track title. Like like it's it, you really have to have a lot of attention-grabbing riffs uh, on that album. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I, I, I was really, really enjoying it. I've been listening to it on my, my way into work here. Thanks. I'm, I'm really proud of that uh, album. It was kind of an outlet I had over several years of, you know, I was working for Boss, and I would be doing different gigs for different people, and I just felt like I need to do a little bit of my own stuff and uh, so that that was kind of sizzling on the back burner for several years, and I, I just finished it this last year. And um, thanks, I, I really am proud of that album. Right now, though, I have an album called the Paul Hansen Orchestra, 
which is at iTunes and CD Baby also. And it's all big band, you know, Glenn Miller, Benny Goodman stuff. It's all done with, like, shredding guitar. Oh, I got to check that out. Yeah, in fact, I just, uh, you know, I've been listening to it and trying to relearn some of the stuff, and I think, oh, my gosh, is that me playing that? And uh, so it's a bit of a challenge relearning it. But up here in the Seattle area, I'm going to put together a trio and and do some of that big band stuff and maybe sing some Sinatra songs and sing some of that old big band stuff and uh, just make it the Paul Hansen Orchestra because it's the best-selling thing I have on iTunes right now. So I thought, why don't I throw the band together and see what happens? Do a few gigs. That's so, awesome. Yeah, cool. it'll be amazing because it's a trio. It'll start off as a trio, and I'm doing big fat guitar parts to replace all those harmony clarinets and you know all that awesome arrangements. But the songs are the songs are what rock, you know, and. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like in the mood. With big guitar riffs, it, the stuff holds up. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's Paul Hansen Orchestra, and uh, that's one of my projects I'm working on right now is doing that. I recorded the whole album in when I lived in Vienna, Austria, uh, back in the early 90s. I, I I can't wait to check that out. I I love all the big band stuff. Oh, me too. So, Paul, one last question here, and I'll let you go. Um, okay. Reading your website, I discovered that you are responsible in part, I guess, or maybe entirely, um, you can elaborate for us, on the vulgar display of power column in Guitar World. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Oh, yeah. You know, um, I I do two things for Guitar World. I right now create pedal settings, generic pedal settings for the uh, transcriptions. I used to do actual boss pedal settings, but now Guitar World's hired me to create, um, figure out what the guy used, and then they create kind of generic um, amp and pedals uh, to to show what the guys used. So I do a ton of research for that. That's called, um, uh, well, it's the pedals and amp settings that, you know, will get the tone of the transcriptions. And that's right in the front of the Guitar World transcriptions. Then they asked me to do the vulgar display of power, which is in the back of Guitar World, and I don't do every one. I've I've done, uh, let's see, Vivian Campbell for Def Leppard. And what I do is I get the guy on the phone, talk to him, and, you know, the artist will tell me about their rig and how it works and, and what their philosophy is. Then I get their tech on the phone. And uh, the tech explains exactly all the routing. And then I try to get some real photographs from the tech of the gear. Yeah. And then I, I forward that to this, this really great artist, Adam Cooper, who has a website called, I think it's guitargeek.com. So Adam then draws out the guitarist, 
for example, Vivian Campbell, and then draws out his entire rig. And uh, then I, I write a little bit about it. And, yeah, it's a fun thing. I do that not every month, but uh, I do the pedal settings every month. In fact, yeah. I've got to do them right now <laughs> after we get off the phone for, dang, I guess it's the January. We've already done, I don't know when this, this podcast will be up, but we've already done the holiday issue for Guitar World. So we're already working on the January issue. It's amazing how far advanced the magazine industry works. Yeah, that's a fun job. I'm I'm enjoying that. With I, I love that column. I, I just I love love what you guys have done with that column. I think I think it's 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 such a nice little snapshot of, of you know your favorite artist. I just absolutely love that. Oh, thanks. So I've got um, maybe two coming, two of those coming up in future Guitar Worlds, and uh, they're. Yeah, really interesting guys, and it's fun talking to them. It's amazing how complex some people's rigs are and how some simple other people's rigs are. It's really, you don't need to have a complicated rig to get a great sound. But I guess if you're playing in Def Leppard, uh, they're they're pretty crazy about their rigs. So that, that was the first one I did, the Vivian Campbell one. And, yeah. oh, my gosh, that was crazy. If you go back and look at that one. His rig is really complicated. Yeah. Oh, well, that's awesome. Well, Paul, I'm not going to take up any more of your time. I really appreciate you coming on the show and talking to us today. Thank you. Thank you, Aaron. All right, and we are back. So I cannot thank Paul enough for doing this interview and taking the time to do it. I really enjoyed the stories. Um, that trick that he talks about, about the DD3, look for that in my next episode because I do plan on sitting down with my DD3 pedal and trying that out to see, you know, okay, how, how can I pull this off? What other ways can we use this? Um, so that'll definitely be a segment in my next episode. Um, and I hope you've enjoyed the show today. Remember to check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash S-G-N-L, the number two N-Z. Um, also Twitter, twitter.com slash S-G-N-L, the number two, dot N-Z, not dot N-Z, just N-Z. And then, of course, my website is signaltonoise.fm. Check out the blog for different things that I'll be talking about or rambling on about. And until next time, make some noise. <laughs>